Welcome to the Roadie Runback. I'm your host, Jeff Rohn, and I have a great interview for you guys today. Former URI basketball star and professional basketball player, Jimmy Barron, joins the show today. And I'm happy to bring to you an RI sports-focused podcast where we will deep dive into our local college, high school, and other athletic programs in the area. Here we go. Welcome to the Roadie Runback, episode 5, and we have a great episode for you guys today, and a, a guest that everyone has requested to come on the show, and I was lucky enough to get him today with former URI basketball star and pro professional basketball player, Jimmy Barron. Awesome interview with Jimmy. It was great talking about his career, what his time was like playing at URI, being part of that PC-URI rivalry. Awesome interview with Jimmy, and then we talk about we touch about other things of what he's doing, what he's up to now, what it was like playing overseas, but great interview with Jimmy. You guys are really going to enjoy that one today. But before I get into the interview, I want to touch upon something that I usually don't talk about as much because I try to keep things light. Um, I try to keep things more focused on the happy side of everything, but it really needs to be touched upon. It happened in the world of sports. We need to bring it up. We have to talk about it. NBA boycotted basketball games on Thursday, which stunned a trend of the WNBA also boycotted the games as well, and then the MLS, and then some MLB games as well got boycotted. For this to happen was because of shooting of Jacob Blake. If you watch the video of the shooting of Jacob Blake, it's absolutely disgusting. As a kid, I was always raised by my parents to never hit anyone from behind, or take a swing at someone, or even attack someone from behind or whatever you know like fight someone from behind or i don't know you know it's just a cowardly way to do it jacob blake was shot in his back seven times by a cop at point blank from right in his back when his back was turned against the cop now growing up like i had mentioned and never attack or fight anyone when their back is turned this video if you've watched it i tried to avoid watching it but i ended up watching it it was absolutely disgusting the milwaukee bucks on Thursday, during an NBA playoff game, did decided not to take the court. I took the world by a shock, but I think they made the right decision in every which way. Um, and it really sent a message. Other NBA teams then followed suit, and they did not take the court. NBA games were postponed, WNBA games were postponed, and MLB games were postponed. Now, we had sports back this weekend. Yes, we did. But the NBA players, WNBA players did what was best to send the message across the world and send a message to the owners. This, the owners have a lot of power and the owners are going to help. And they had met, met with the owners, Michael Jordan being the voice of reason in those meetings um, and really helped them settle something up where the players would still play, but the owners had to meet in a, an agreement. But I can't tell you how proud I am right now to be a, a sports fan and a basketball fan. Um, or, you know, just overall, just a sports fan. To see these players on every platform unite to get their message across about Black Lives Matter was absolutely amazing. These young men and women really stepped up to the plate. And I think America has, if any of these young men and women were to come into office or anything like that, I think America would be in great hands. Uh, in this 
we keep seeing history repeat itself here in uh, America, which is absolutely disgusting and tough to see. I hope with everything that's going on, and I think we're about to see some changes, and I'm so glad to see our uh, young men and women of the pro sports and the leaders of the pro sports to really step up to the plate. Then boycotting those games really brought a light to to it and really really proved the point. And it was it was crazy. And I don't think the last time that happened was in 1961 when Bill Russell and the Boston Celtics boycotted a practice game. Now 1961. Now let's go. What are we, 40, 40 years now? Almost 40 years, I think. I'm terrible at math, so I could be wrong. Um, but, and we're still going through that. And we, you know, and you think we would make some changes about the racism and, and everything, and people would be more loving and understanding and love each other. But, you know, we're still going through some issues with racism, and it needs to be fixed, and it needs to be changed. And it's tiring that these cops with the power are going after you know have these racist issues and going after these young black men and women and it's unfortunate and it's terrible to see in the news that these people are dying from these issues and not it's not fair and it's crazy it's not fair for them to go through this it's not fair as a person of people of color to go through these issues and face these issues, it's absolutely just not right. I hope going forward that America, we can change and we can make, and we can be better. Um, I think we need to be better. We definitely need to be better. And I hope racism and we can put an end to it for all. Um, I just wanna say, you know, that, that's, that's, those are my feelings on it. Uh, Black lives really matter right now. And I think we all need to make a stand and stand together, stand up for each other and be there for one another, unite and help fight and put an end to this racism that's in our nation. That's all I have to say for that. But I really want to get into our interview with Jimmy Barron now and make light of everything and back to regular program here. Uh, Great interview with Jimmy Barron. You guys are going to love it. Awesome interview. Uh, he's a former URI basketball star. He's a professional basketball player now. We talk about his career, growing, what it was like growing up with his dad, playing basketball at URI, his time at URI, playing basketball overseas with his brother, and a really interesting and crazy COVID story that he had happened to him, too. That was absolutely crazy, but you guys will hear that in the beginning. But here is the interview with Jimmy Barron. On today's podcast, I welcome on a very special guest. He is a former URI Ram. He is a professional basketball player, and he also has his own basketball training. It's uh, BarronBasketball.com. If you want to reach out to him, go to the website. Jimmy, how are you? Doing well, Jeffrey. Appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, appreciate you having, having coming on the show and being able to make time for me. Um, so I want to ask you, man, how are you doing during these like COVID times and how you're keeping yourself busy and yourself ready for the pros? I think I'm, you know, kind of in the same boat as everyone, really. It's kind of like a learn-as-you-go type of thing. Um, Our season was shut down um, beginning of March, kind of similar to when everyone else kind of shut down. And um, just initially on, just try to keep myself as active as possible because when it initially happened, I didn't know, you know, when the season would start back up or if it would start back up. 
but I would, I was training as if it was going to start back up and just try to stay, you know, smart and as active as possible, um, for when that would happen. So, uh, yeah, it's been trying times. Everyone's kind of just trying to figure it out a little bit now, even still to this day, you know, with being safe and, and being smart. Um, so that's kind of much just trying to be active and, uh, you know, keep my mind going. <laughs> yeah, I know. I completely understand that. It's a little, we're just in such a weird time with everything that's going on. Sucks about the sports and what happened. And, you know, you said you're in the middle of a season. Were you over in France when that happened? When the Corona? I was. Yep. We, we had about 11 games left in our season. And I went through a pretty crazy two weeks um, because our, my third daughter was born on March 10th. And our last game ended up being March 8th. So we played a game March 8th in a small village in southern France called Boulezac, France, which is close to Bordeaux for all those wine connoisseurs out there. <laughs> and um, after that game, I took a, I want to say it was five-hour taxi ride to Charles de Gaulle just so I could catch my flight yeah. uh, to get back for the birth of Scarlett, um, my youngest daughter. And so I, you know, I get back and so we were a little bit ahead of what was going on in France. So I was actually the only one on the plane at the time with a mask on and everyone was looking at me as if I was the crazy one and I was this and I was, I was paranoid. And, you know, when I landed in the States, um, again, they were a little bit behind France and the rest of Europe. Um, everything was pretty much, you know, wide open. And here I am twiddling my thumbs, you know, walking around looking like, you know, expecting something like just nervous you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. so uh, we go to the hospital bring women's the next day in boston and you know just to get ready you know for the birth and everything and, and make sure everything was in order and just being there to support my wife and everything and you know i had told them you know like this is where i was this is what was happening you know and and just you know just trying to be as uh smart and and as i could possibly be yeah and luckily nothing you know nothing serious happened out of that we did everything that we could you know from just make sure everything was clean to just just being smart and um so my my daughter was born everything went great it was a healthy pregnancy um congratulations too i, I appreciate know. it yep. yeah so cool. that was march that was march 10th and i was scheduled to fly back to france march 11th for a game we were supposed to play March 12th. Oh, wow. Uh, 12th or 13th. It was that, anyways, it was, it was that, um, it was that Friday. Scarlett was born on Tuesday. So um, fast forward to the next day, I get on my plane. I had to fly from Boston to Newark. And as I'm on the runway, um, just before the runway, I, I had seen um, that, the games were going to be suspended in France wow. for two weeks. Now I'm on the I'm on my way. Yeah, <laughs> you're going, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, I I couldn't do anything. The plane took off. We went to, we went to Newark, um, and as soon as I had landed, I had called my club right away. I said, look, I just saw the news. What's going on? You know, can I stay? You know, my wife's still in the hospital. Yeah, in Boston. And the GM of the club was like, no, look, we're going to play this weekend's games. And then we're going to do the, the two week suspension after that. So I was like, all right. Well, yes. But that was the plan. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just saw the headline, two week suspension. I didn't see the fine print that said after this weekend's game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, 
I get on the I get on my connector to uh, to Paris, Charles de Gaulle from Newark, and take off. And about three hours in, two or three hours into the flight is when you know, thank God I had Wi-Fi. Rudy Gobert test positive. Oh. And just everything, boom, 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 just started to trickle down. Yeah. Uh, President Trump had his press conference from the Oval Office at the same time. And one of his, um, one of the things he said was, no more travel to Europe. And that's all he said. Yeah, yeah. So now I'm like, oh, now like there's a lot of things. And again, I still got three hours before we land in Paris. And I take the... I take my phone, show it to the flight attendant. I say, Hey, you need to take a look at this. You yeah. Know? So he, he takes the information to the pilot pilot calls back to Newark. And about an hour later, they come back to my seat and they confirm everything. Wow. And they're like, look, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to try and make something work with, you know, getting the people that are on the plane back to Newark. Cause again, everyone's under the assumption that this is the last flight. Yeah. Yeah. And so now you got people freaking out on the plane because people go for three days a week, you know, just for vacation or for maybe a short work trip or see family. So now it's a little bit chaotic on the plane. And, you know, the guy comes up to me, what do you, what would you like to do, sir? And I'm like, well, I got a game in two nights, you know, I'm yeah. gonna, you know, I, I live here, you know, I yeah. work here. I, they're like, are you short? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. So anyways, I, you know, long to shorten up this story a little bit. I, I land, take the train to my city. We have practice that night and right before practice, we usually have like about a 10 or 20 minute meeting to go over film and talk about what we're going to do and then what we're going to prepare for in practice to prepare for the game the next day. Halfway through the film session, GM comes in and says, we're not going to be playing tomorrow. Uh, suspension starts right now. Wow. Um, everyone needs to just go home. Oh my God. How, yeah. So how uh, annoyed were you about that situation? Uh, very, yeah, I was, yeah, not, it, it was not good. Yeah. So, and again, at this point in time, I'm thinking, all right, that's it. There's no more flights. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, how am I going to get home? Like, I just had a new baby. Like, what? Right. what how's this going to work out? Like, how did you? So were you able, I'm assuming, because you are home, like, Ooh. how did you end up getting back and everything like that? What, what, what happened was, is initially they had said it was going to be a suspension. Of yeah. the league. So we were going to pick up with practice, I want to say, the second or third of April. You know, okay. so that, at this point in time, that's like three weeks from what a, you know march 12th or 13th or whatever it was yeah and so i was like all right well all right we'll wait it out because i'm not going to go back and forth and back and forth um i had already been home that was my third time home in wow. three months you know wow. from from at that point so i'm like all right i'm not going to go back again you know thank god my wife was okay with it she's a rock you know she yeah. was able to just hold down the fort and her job was way more tough than mine so, yeah yeah exactly um so I, I just hung it out and about four or five days after that, I think my days might be mixed up, but McC uh, President McCroom came on and did his first public address in France and set forth a nationwide quarantine from that day forward. Now the quarantine there is a little bit different than the quarantine here. Yeah. So there was uh there was police on the streets, checkpoints. We had to have paperwork everywhere we went. Wow. Uh, um, you know, I want to say you had maybe an hour outside to go to this, you know, go for a walk, go to the supermarket, go to the, you know, to exercise, um, emergencies, you were fine. You had to go to emergency, you had to leave, you had to, you had to do it. But yeah, I pushed, I posted it on Twitter. Um, you had to have a form filled out 
in French about what you were doing, when you were leaving, when you were coming back to the house, why you were going. You had to travel with your passport every single time. Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a pretty crazy time. Yeah, that sounds really ridiculous. And like, on like, I can't believe you experienced that. And just like, how did so like when did were you able to go back? Like, when was like when, the timeline? after that period? There was like another week. Yeah, I want to say another week or so where um, Macron had a second, President Macron had a second um, press conference and pushed back the the quarantine until okay. like mid-April. Now, again, this is where people can't even leave their houses. Jeez, yeah. More, you, you can leave your house, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I'm like, all right, the season's like it's not gonna if if it restarts by the time we we practice and play games and it's not gonna be until May. So yeah. I started to look at that point of when I could go home. Um, there was no more. Sorry for the noise. Can, is that screwing up the recording? No, it's still, you're you're fine. You're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I had to. I had to. Um, I lost my train of thought. I had to search for different flights because there was no more flights out of Paris. Yeah. On, any city in the United States. It was just, it was done at that point. And I ended up finding a flight in Brussels, one of the last United flights out of Brussels, flew to Newark, connected in Newark, and then went to Boston. Wow. And then that was it. And then I, actually, no, I did not land in Boston. I landed in Providence. Okay. Um, landed in Providence. There was a, a Channel 10 news crew there. Um, yeah, I remember. Joe I so I just walked TV. Yeah, they, they were interested. I think they were um, they were uh, filming the uh, the the coast. It was like the the, the military or something. There was they had like a, a table set up for a questionnaire. Yeah, I'm doing an interview with Channel Ten. Yeah, I do remember I that. Them a Cliff Notes version of what I just told you. Yeah, and, and that was it. And then I went home and I I kind of continued that same quarantine I had um in france i stayed in my basement of my house um lauren and the baby stayed upstairs in our bedroom uh did not go anywhere near them i literally had gloves on in the house wow like when i was touching everything i'm yeah. i'm touching it i'm wiping it touching it i'm wiping it yeah yeah being extra extra safe yeah did that whole thing and did that for a good two weeks maybe a little bit longer just to be safe and then got to hug my kids for the first time oh that's awesome man well i'm glad that everything like worked out for you and that's that's such a great that's such a crazy story it's just like a bunch of back and forth and everything like that but that's that's amazing that it worked out you're able to get back that sounds i would be freaking out but yeah it would have been not a good situation yeah yeah that's tough it was but I'm glad everyone's healthy and your your family and uh, everyone's healthy. You were smart about it, and it must be crazy to also have a baby in the during a pandemic as well too. So oh yeah, that was uh, a totally different feeling, you know. And you just, I guess, in that point in time, it's kind of good to be paranoid and just make sure everything is is you know you do everything the right way. Yeah, you'd rather be safe than sorry. That's the best way to to be. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to. I will ask you some questions about your pro uh, career over in Europe, but I want to take a step back. You know, your family's a big basketball family, your dad, your brother, you, you all play like, you know, your dad's a coach, you and your brothers like played, um, you know, so at what age did you play basketball? And if there was another sport, were you ever interested in another sport at the time? Or? Uh, yeah, I actually gave, I gave baseball a shot for maybe a year and a half or so. Yeah. 
and that and I took an early exit from that sport because I just wasn't, you know, it just wasn't for me. I got hit by a couple pitches, and I'm like, listen, I'd rather take a forearm to the chest than, than a, you know, a, a fastball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> so that that didn't work out for me, um, and I, I picked up golf. Um, where we lived in Olean, New York, when my father was at St. Bonaventure, they had a nice little nine-hole course there that was pretty good for a for a youngster to start playing on. So um, I had a, you know, that was that was a pretty cool score, sport that I could pick up. And my dad was a little more uh, calm with that sport versus uh, baseball. So he, he, he wasn't a big fan of baseball. Uh, no, so, no. Was he yeah. with it or it was just more of like – What's that? Was he impatient about it or he just didn't like it? No, my, my, my father growing up was, was amazing. Both my parents were amazing. They, um, my dad never really pushed me with basketball That's until cool. I asked for it. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was just that parent. He sat in the background. He didn't say anything. Um, and if he did say something, I didn't know about it. But yeah. he, you know, he was really good about kind of letting me develop a love for the game, okay. kind of letting it develop on his own. Now, I was always around his teams. I was always around his players uh, from being a water boy to behind the bench to going on the court, mopping up sweat. Like I was just always around it. Yeah. So he knew like there was a good chance I'd, I'd pick it up. And, you know, but at the same time, he never, it wasn't until after a specific game my freshman year and at Olean High School in New York where it, it picked up literally from, from that night and he became more like of a coach and a father. Oh, that's all. That's that's good though. I mean, it's really good that he helped you kind of. He waited until you wanted to be pushed, and he didn't like force you into the sport. And at least you don't like have like a you know. I know like some people get pushed into sports. Like my dad pushed me into baseball, and I hated it. And I ended up like ended up hating baseball. So that's that's great that it worked out for you. Mm -hmm. How's your golf game today? Um, it's up and down. I'm I'm like an eight and a half nine right now. So it's they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's. But it, again, listen, I've had a couple lucky rounds where I've made some putts and yeah. gotten some good breaks here, like every golfer, you know. But it could very easily be uh, fifteen plus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very easily. Oh yeah, I know. You always get that one shot that always just brings you back, though, right? It's just like you. Like, no, this this is true. This is true. <laughs> and, and then there's a very easy course up in uh, close to my house in Massachusetts that that handicap is based off. <laughs> so, but you know, you can edit that one out. You don't have to add that. You don't have to keep that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so back to, we'll get back to the basketball, talk, yeah. we'll talk more golf afterwards, but your senior year, uh, you, you lead your team, your senior year in high school, you lead your team to a championship. What was that run like? What's that feeling like? Of being able to win like your first championship for you know for this school and what's that mm -hmm. like it was good i mean it's it's anytime you win you know once you win something it, it changes your your mindset and your mentality because then you just it you solidify so you like all your hard work it's it's shown and it's shown in, in a big way like you're a champion you know and you, you're always going to be a champion no matter what so once that happens then you want it every year yeah. You understand that. You understand what goes into it. You look back on it, you say, oh, that's how that worked, and that's how that worked, and that didn't work too well. But you, you, you got to the end point. You, you achieved your goal, and it just changes that. You want that every single year. Um, we had a great team. We had a lot of great players on that team. Um, Joe Mazzula was a young sophomore point guard, uh, great player. Um, did defensive work 
him and DJ Cherry, so I didn't have to do much of them. Um, so that was that was good. I think uh, it was just very special for me um, because we, we won the championship in the Ryan Center. That's and awesome. I believe up to, up to that point, that was the first ever state championship played in the Ryan Center. Wow. So a lot of people that we, coaches, I'm sure parents of other players on other teams, weren't too happy because that's my home court. Yeah. And <laughs> no one, to this day, I, I don't want to be too cocky, but I, I truly believe that there won't be another player to ever take more shots in that gym than I did. Yeah. Because I walked into that place when it was still half open. Like they were still building it. It wasn't the Ryan Center, it was the Convocation Center. And I could see right there, right when my dad first got the job, um, his first season as a coach, they were in Keeney. Yep. The Ryan Center was just being finished up. Um, so I was a, I saw everything. And, you know, from scaffolding to all the construction stuff to laying the floor down for the first time, made the first shot, like everything. Like it, so that place is, is – there will, there will never be another gym that's more special to me than that place. So it was really cool to be able to, you know, win a state championship there. That's awesome. That's so cool. And that's, that's crazy that uh, you took your college career there. Was that, like, always your decision to go to URI? Or did you have offers to other places that you thought maybe that you wanted to go to instead? Yeah, well, I, I always – again – it's hard to say it wasn't my decision because I was, again, always around my father's teams growing up from even St. Francis before that. And then after that, St. Bonaventure and then Rhode Island. So growing up, yeah, you always, you're the kid that always wants to play, you know, at that level, that's all you, that's all you know. So of yeah. course I wanted to play for him, but I knew, especially at a high school, I wasn't good enough. Like I still had a long way to go. I matured late. So my body, I was still with this skinny kid that, you know, couldn't guard a chair, but couldn't really shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had to go to Worcester Academy for a year to prep school for a year. Yeah. And I ended up choosing Worcester Academy because I really gelled well with the coach at Riley. Um, they had another point guard from Hartford, Connecticut, Aaron Jackson, who was going to, going to be backcourt mates together. Um, hit it off right away. And it was a great decision for me because, you know, it allowed me to, to really not just develop my game, but develop my body to kind of catch up to the division one level. Yeah. So, and again, out of high school, I had one division two offer from Assumption. That was it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's so, crazy. And that's, yeah, I, I just, like, let's, let's just be honest. I wasn't good enough. Yeah. So I, I needed that extra year of development. Um, I needed to play against division, like consistent division one level competition um, every game. And that's, you know, really helped me advance my game and just get the confidence that, Hey, I'm, I'm good enough and the work I'm putting in is paying off. So. What's that now? What's that like put you into like a mindset of like, how's that change your mindset when you go into the Worcester Academy um, and you play against like these bigger competition, like what's that change? How's that change your mindset of like working really extra hard? Cause you're facing guys that are actually like, you know, are getting those division one offers and you're working towards that. Um, that's a hard question because I knew, like, I committed to play for Rhode Island. Yeah. Come out of Hendricken. I told dad, I told my dad, I said, look, I want to play for you. This is what I want to do. And that's how the decision was. It was an easy decision that you got a post-grad a year prep school. Yeah. So I went into that year, like, all right, I got eight months to really figure this out and honing my skills, get stronger, get ready. Yeah. So I had that in the back of my head. So in a sense, I, I didn't care who I was playing. I knew I was going to be playing against good competition, but I knew 
like whether it was a good game or a bad game, I knew I had to hit it again the next day and yeah. work hard the next day and the next day. And I, I don't know, maybe it was just for my parents, um, the coaches I had along the way. I never got caught up. Like I knew I was going to URI, but it wasn't like a day-to-day thing. Like I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. Yeah. yeah. Like, this I got to do and stay in the moment and just work hard every single day and take it day by day. That's- and that's what really helped me kind of stay in the moment and not get too focused on the results of the end game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great mentality going into it and just like, you know, the day by day mentality and work and you just mm-hmm. working your butt off. And I mean, it worked out really worked out well for you. And you know, what was that freshman year coming into URI like and playing for your dad that year? Um, it was a challenge, you know, when I first got there, I mean, well, let me start before that. I had always looked up to my dad's players, even before Rhode Island, but at St. Bonaventure, you know, those guys were always bigger than life to me. So when I finally got to that level, um, I really kind of just, I knew I was, I had a long way to go and I just tried my best to, to take every day, one day at a time, work as hard as I could try to learn as much as I could along the way. Um, so it was, it was something that was very challenging early on. My dad didn't make it any easier just because he made sure that he pushed me harder than anyone else on the team just to show that he wasn't playing any favorites. So I think that was really important for me in my development too. Um, it really kept me humble. Um, I had a really good understanding, um, that I had a long way to go and, and, you know, keep my head down and just keep working hard. That's great. Yeah, I think you definitely need that. And, you're, you know, definitely, like, it's cool. It's great that your dad, you know, definitely treated you like one of the players and, like, you know, and that realization that you, you're coming out of high school and you're on this Division One stage and you knew what you had to do just become, uh, you know, the one of the greats. And that that's awesome that you were able to, to do that. And now look at your career as we go forward and we talk more about it. <laughs> oh, for sure, man. For sure. I mean, I think just having that mentality of just staying humble – I, I never looked down the road like I was going to be such and such a player. You know, I, I just knew that. And my dad was really good at this. Um, like I touched on it before, but of just, look, like you've, you, you've got a long way to go. These are your weaknesses. Um, you know, he grew up as a different type of player as me, and he had a long way to develop as a player. So he had a really good understanding of what I needed to do. And of course I could make shots, but you know, I was, I was a little bit of like a a step slow, especially on defense. And I really had to work on my body to get stronger and to really adjust to the speed of the game. Most of all, Um, because when you go from high school to college, it's a big jump, especially in how fast the game is played. What's now, now what's that like, how do you adjust to that speed? Mentally, I think is, is huge first, just, and obviously a lot of that goes into your preparation um, for the game, but, just being able to to react um, to certain things on the court, you know, being able to push a guy left versus pushing him right, you know, especially if he's right-handed, um, being able to, on offense, as the ball's coming towards you, do some of your work before you catch the ball, you know, in your shot preparation. You know, if you're right-handed, I always teach left-right into your shot. So getting that left foot down as I catch that ball so that I only have to bring my right foot forward and then be able to go up with my shot at the same speed, maybe a little bit quicker as I got stronger, but at the same speed. But again, I'm doing some of my work before the ball even gets there. So now my shot becomes quicker without really having to do anything, just having better preparation. That's crazy. That, and that's like, it's, it's crazy. It's that small of like the details of like 
that preparation and being prepared for that speed of the game and just like ad- making that adjustment. Cause you always hear about the speed of the NBA, but I don't think a lot of people talk about the speed of, you know, the, like the difference from high school to division one. Yeah. It's huge. And that's why Worcester Academy was terrific as like a good buffer, a good transition period for me to start to play against division one competition every day and then be able to try to take that and progress it into college. That's awesome, man. That's great. And I mean, now look, I mean, now look at how it all turned out going forward, right? <laughs> it, yeah, it turned out pretty good. But even still to this day, I'm still trying to get, you know, 1% quicker, 1% better, you know, try to, you know, tune up the, the shot as much as I can, because it's, it's never perfect. That's your always, it's always a work in progress. So. Yeah. I mean, if we're all perfect, I think we'd all be, you know, be in the NBA, but. First ballot Hall of Famers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I wish um, for me, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, man, it, it was awesome, you know, watching you develop and how you became this such a, just hearing those small details that you just mentioned and seeing you, your game, like as you played, you're like you're just such a prolific three-point shooter, and like what you become, and that's crazy that you. It's crazy how much detail goes into the game, and I don't think a lot of people realize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, there's a lot, you know, and and I have a lot of respect for like NBA players that you know can do things that I'm still trying to do right now, and I'm just trying to pick apart what they do. But I look, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. So when I look back at myself in college and I watch how I move and how I get into my shot, I'm like, man, how did I? How did I do? How did I get away with that? You know, and I see a bunch of things that man, I wish I could have done that better, could have done that better, could have done that better. So it's always a, it's always a work in progress. You're always trying to strive and get better and improve your game. Um, I think that's what the love of the game is all about: is that you always want more, you always want to be the best that you can be. So yeah. it's that's the beauty of the game. Yeah, it's awesome. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> and what was it like? Going forward, though, like your sophomore years and stuff like that, was like, do you feel like it got better? Um, I wouldn't say better. I just art like everything changed. Like we had, there was a lot of guys that graduated, and we had a um a new group of kids coming in. I want to say Keith Cothran came in, mm-hmm. um, Lamont Ulmer came in. You know, I was a year older. Kaheem Seawright was a year older. Um, I think we had Daryl Harris that came in as a transfer. So it was it was a new team, and it was a different team. And our playing style was different too. We were just, we went from being, you know, slow, try to defend to up and up tempo, trying to, you know, outscore teams. And it was a totally different change in everything. Yeah. From style play to players to to everything. So I think everyone was really trying to just get used to a change. You know, new kids were getting used to being in college for the first time. We were getting used to a change of playing style and, um, it didn't, you know, it was up and down throughout that entire year. And then it really clicked towards the end of the season when we made the, the A-10 run and just fell a game short in the A-10 championship. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, as well. Too. That, was, that was a year where we had no business even being in the semifinals. Yeah, yeah. Let alone, let alone the finals. So. Yeah. It's like one of those things, though, you guys just seemed like you clicked at the end, though. Like, it's just like you make a run. It's like when you get hot at the right time, you just got hot at the right time. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly what happened. We had, I mean, the game we played, I want to say against, yeah, against Xavier in the semifinals was just a game where offensively, defensively, everything was clicking for us. And we took advantage of it. And yeah, like I said, unfortunately, we came up short the next game. So yeah, it stinks, but it's great. It's great. I mean, it was definitely like from like a fan's perspective, we're all always excited to watch you guys play and, you know, always excited for the next season. But 
it, one thing that we noticed as fans is your three-point shot. Like, what, how'd you make that so – how did you become such a deadly three-point shooter? Because that thing, that thing was – you just were pure. You're just a pure shooter. Um, growing up in um, – growing up as a kid, I always used to watch Michael Jordan. Just um, – I don't know, like every kid, right? You, you pick a player you love yeah. to watch and – um, but I wasn't, I wasn't a kid that would like just watch the highlights or everything. I used to cut tape VHS to VHS. I had a double deck VCR. Um, I would record MJ games, make my own highlights on certain moves from being the center of the triangle to different ways around it, how he would score different moves and kind of like group them together. Yeah. So you would do the same thing over a certain amount of time. I don't know how I got into it. Maybe that was just for my dad watching film so much as a coach. Yeah. But I just adopted that and, and did it myself. Um, so, again, seeing all that, all those clips kind of grouped together, I started to see how he, how he would shoot his form and technique. And I tried to copy that as much as possible. Yeah. So with some help from my dad and some other coaches I had when I was really young, I just developed a good form oh, yeah. um, and just worked on it as much as possible. Another secret that I, I did that not a lot of people know, but one, one thing my father learned from recruiting in like Yugoslavia at the time and Eastern Europe and different European countries, I used the mini ball a lot. So I, I was never, yeah, I was never the kid that was just flinging the ball at the rim, you know, as hard as I could just to try and get it up to 10 feet. Yeah. You know, I had a mini ball, I had a smaller hoop. So I, you know, this is at a really young age, I would learn to, to shoot the ball without overstressing my body and kind of sacrificing form and technique for a shot. So I would start developing the right mechanics, the right yeah. way. And then as I, you know, got older, got stronger, then a bigger ball, and then eventually a men's ball. Wow. That's awesome. That's that's crazy. That's yeah. a, a hidden secret that I don't think a lot of people know about. I'm going to have to yeah. steal that one for my younger kids. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have a player development. That's, that's really cool. That's that's awesome that you're um, – that, that, like, turned into it because you were just, like – just pure man like watching you shoot like your shot was just like unbelievable you just I think anytime that you released it you just you either thought it was going to go in in some sort of way like just you were just unbelievable like such a great shooter in the way you came off screens and just you're just awesome to watch play sorry like fanboying out right now but no I appreciate it I mean I had a lot I had a coach that allowed me to shoot those shots and (laughs) I had a lot of I had a lot of really good teammates who had confidence in me taking those shots too so that's awesome I know now back to playing. Like, what was it? Now, what was it like to be part of that PCUR rivalry? Uh, the PCUR rivalry was was awesome because again, I was a kid when they came into the Ryan Center for the first time, and it yeah. was like a big thing. I think there was a massive snowstorm that day, um, so everyone was like, oh, "Is there going to be a lot of people there? Is it going to be half full?" And it was packed. Yeah, and we ended up beating them, and then. You know, I think for a good four or five year stretch, you know, we'd lose up there, we'd win it in Kingston, we'd lose up there, we'd win in Kingston. Um, and then I think when my dad first took the job, I want to say he won with his 2002 team at the Civic Center or at the Dunkin' Donuts Center. Really? I think that, yeah, one of those years they won up there. Like Brian Woodward went baseline and made like a spectacular running leaner off the backboard. They came down and missed a shot, and I think we won. Well, we did win, but I think that's how it happened. So, but that, that rivalry is special. And then growing up and actually eventually playing in it, you, you got to really try hard not to get caught up 
than anything else because you know everything else. Yeah. Because you heard the theatrics, the, the what the fans think, and everything because that you were a fan at one point, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So you really got to just, I don't know, meditate, just not think about it. I mean, just try anything. That I was at that point, I was just, I just focus on the game. Yeah. You know, nah, like what's follow, going on? follow through on the shot, you know, just make sure everything is in line. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because someone will harp on you about something if you do something hit an air ball or like you know like the crowd's gonna like be all over you either way but oh i didn't think about stuff like that too much though i didn't just i don't know i had a i had i was really good at just once i stepped on the court it was just just locking in i'm not hearing what the fans are saying or anything and just just play that's great that's awesome and like how did you like you know i know those games are like noisy like you were able to like pick up from your dad like what the plays were and stuff like that. Like, was that difficult? Do you ever felt that was like difficult situation? Um, no, I, I just, I mean, I was lucky. I grew up under that type of, um, what do I want to say? What am I looking for? Like growing up under a coach's kid, you just, you know, whether it's the lingo, whether it's the way you watch a game, you know, I mean, my dad would pull me into his office at the house and watch film. You know, yeah. just at a young age, and they, you know, it'd be like, "Hey, why don't you take a look at this? You have a seat right there, okay?" <laughs> and then I'm gonna, you know, watch. What do you think about this clip? And then kind of like going through it that way. Um, so I kind of learned it at a young age. So when it happened in a game, you know, it's it became a little bit like second nature um, to be able to, you know, still play the game but retain information. You know, listen to the coach as it's going on, and then being able to execute it. Yeah. Um, in a high pressure situation, so that's great. That's that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's- I mean, that's, that's that ice cold blood mentality too, right? You can be able to execute a high pressure situation. No, no panic whatsoever. Right. Yep. It's a lot of hard work too, because, you know, I don't want to think about, okay, do I need to extend and follow through totally on my shot? Yeah. When I need to worry about getting back and playing defense at the same time. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's just, you gotta, you gotta let the mind go away a little bit and just play. Yeah. You know, it's just be in the moment and be a part of the game you know, play off of like instinct, not play off of, okay, I got to do A, B, C, D, and this and that, you know? Yeah, yeah. I got to do all this and then I'm bound to mess up if you do it that way, unless you just let instinct take over, right? Sure. Yeah. And then your senior year, you guys play number eight Duke at Cameron Indoors. Now, what was that experience like and playing there? I'll never forget this game because I remember the announcer saying when you guys were close of being like, folks, this is, URI is beating like Rhode Island is beating Duke right now, but like, what was that experience like playing down there? Um, looking back, not good because we yeah. lost the game. So yeah. I, I, again, anytime I trade any of the shots that I made or how I played for a win any day of the week, and that's that's the most important thing. Going into it though, I had known about this game uh, in the summer because you know my dad when they're putting the schedule together, it's you know, what do you, you want to play Duke? You want to go down and. Yeah, Dad, I want to play Duke. Like, yeah, yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Um, so I knew it. You know, I knew it was going to be on the schedule. And I had gone down down there with AU for the Bob Gibbons tournament, which is played at NC State, UNC, and Duke. And so I'd been down there before, but never obviously in that environment with the fans and everything. So it was cool. It was, um, again, another game where you really try to just focus on the game as much as possible and not get caught up in the game. Yeah. Um, so it was good. I mean, you know, it was it was a good game for me personally. Um, I did a video about this on social media a couple of weeks back because people always credit the game. You know, you had a great game. You know, you were unbelievable. You know, you, you hit all the shots and yada, yada, yada. But what people don't remember is that I, I started that game horrible. Like I was 0 for 4. 
I think I had a turnover there. I was just I, I just rewatched the game a couple weeks ago for the first time, like the whole game in its in its entirety. And to see like how that game started for me, like it very well could have gone in the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. It just again, I never got frustrated. Um, I never got down on myself. And, you know, once the first shot kind of went in, it was, you know, the conditions were right for me to kind of keep that going. My teammates found me on some really, really easy shots. Um, Marquise hit me with a wide open three in the second half. That was just completely wide open in transition, walked right into it. And then it kind of went on from there. And, you know, opposite from not being able to make shots and not getting frustrated, then knocking down, starting to knock down two, three, four threes in a row and not getting too high yeah. on yourself either, you know, and not kind of like, you know, kids nowadays do some of the, whatever this is, <laughs> yeah. whatever it's, I know that works for some kids. I'm not going to say that's a bad thing. It's just, it doesn't work for me. I've never been the, the guy to do stuff like that. So I just try to stay right in the middle. And then, you know, I think that helped me to really try to, to stay in the zone for as long as possible. Um, unfortunately zones don't last forever. <laughs> I wish they did, but yeah, I know. Um, so I don't know. It was special in a sense, but and again, getting back, I, I traded all for the win. Anyway. It would have been, that would have been like a really great win. I mean, you guys definitely showed out. I think it was like a good, I think it was good too for Rhode Island fans too. Cause it was like, you know, Rhode Island's not, you know, I think some people were like call a small school, like we can walk over them. It's, it was nice to kind of like put us on the map, be like, Oh yeah, we can, we can hang with the big boys. No, no problem. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, from fans perspective, did coach K say anything to you after the game? Cause I feel like he always grabs like the best player. Um, yeah, he said it was, it was a really good game. Uh, um, and just, you know, good job. <laughs> yeah. It's like, thanks. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I know there's a, I know there's a quote out there where he says like, it was one of the, the best games that a opposing player has played. I've heard that before, but he, he never said that to me. He just had oh, really? shake hands. It was just, Hey, you know, really good game and good luck to you. No. So I think they were more relieved too, that they won. Yeah. Uh, obviously. Cause we, we had that game for the most part yeah. throughout. And, um, it was just, I mean, for me as a kid, as a player, it was an honor just to be there and play against him and, and Duke. And so in that sense, it was a good experience. That's really cool. Yeah. It's, I mean, a lot of people don't get that experience to play in Cameron Andors and get like the playing that legendary against Coach K and that like experience mm-hmm. with all the Cameron crazies. So I'm sure it must have been a wild scene anyways, being down there and like being having the game that you guys had and just unfortunate. Yep. Turn of events, this would suck. But so at the end of your URI career, you finished fifth all-time scoring in the school history with seventeen hundred and eighty-three points, ranked fourteenth in NCAA history, three pointers made. Is there a moment in your career that that you remember that was your favorite or a game or anything like that that you can remember from your college career that you really enjoyed? Um a specific moment. Probably the best game that we won that I was a part of, well, there's two of them, the Xavier game my sophomore year in the semifinals of the A-10, and then when we won in the Carrier Dome against Syracuse. Yeah. Um, one, of my, one of my best friends is, is Rob McClennan. He's like an older brother to me, yeah, yeah. NBA trainer from Rhode Island. Yep. Um, he, was, uh, he coached me at Hendricken, and so, like, he went to Syracuse, he played for Bayon, and that was like a kind of, you know, <laughs> a little extra motivation for me for that game. Yeah, yeah. So, um, 
yeah, that was that was fun to be able to get a win up there. So he still doesn't give me much credit for it, but <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> if I had a favorite moment, though, I mean, it's not one. It's just probably just playing for my dad. Yeah. Um, I forget which. I think it was St. Bonaventure my senior year. I th- yeah, it had to be. And I had a really good game in the second half. We struggled in the first half, um, played really well in the second half, and we ended up winning the game. Wow. And I had a good game in the second half. I think I hit I hit a bunch of threes. And I was in the press conference with him after the game. And I remember he, he was like, you know, I'm really proud of my son. I'm really proud of Jimmy, you know, in front of everyone. And I kind of like looked at him like, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, towards at that point in time, we had started to more enjoy, you know, playing for him and him coaching me. Yeah. Enjoy the moment. All up to that point, it was just, you know, grind, 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 grind. It's work as hard as possible. You know, you call me coach. I'm not your father. You know, all that type of stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, we, we started to really kind of like sit back and enjoy it at that point in time. And that was pretty cool. That's awesome. So, that's really, yeah. that's, that's a really special moment. That's really cool. Yeah changes that changes like the whole perspective of sharing like everything of like the season you're like oh wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep that's yeah it was a cool how, how is your dad doing by the way with everything he's good he's enjoying retirement um he actually he rented a spot up here in rhode island um for the summer just to get out of florida and everything and just to get get back up here and be closer to me my kids um my brother and his kids too so nice. um it's been great to see him around and he's just he's he's enjoying retirement you yeah. know, and, uh, but still has that coach in him. Does you know, it? Yeah, a lot of the conversations come back to basketball. You know, <laughs> somehow, some way, they they come they come back to uh, ah, Jim. You got to get lower on the screen, or you know, like <laughs> like that. Yeah, we're talking about my kids right now. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> oh man! So I can only imagine him as a grandfather when your kids start playing sports. What what it's going to be like? <laughs> oh, well, the name he gives to my kids to call him is Coach Bob's. <laughs> oh he's ready to go then he's ready to go my gramps or grandpa or anything it's coach pops hey, coach pops he's ready to, coach pops is ready to go then he's ready to go yeah, he's <laughs> <start> coaching. yeah. <laughs> that's awesome um and now you when you play overseas what you know what was the decision to play overseas did you have a lot of nba options after college and what was that decision like to play over there um NBA options? No, I didn't have any like options. Literally, I got really close with the Trailblazers in the second round. I had one of the best workouts of my life up there. I remember it was a late flight. I landed at like three, four in the morning in Portland, and a workout was like eight a.m. And I just, I don't know, I was so pumped up for the workout. I had, I I think I missed like one shot that day. Wow! And they were blown away, and they had let me. They had told me like, "Hey, we're gonna take you." And I think they had two picks back to back, fifty-five and fifty-six in the second round, and they were gonna they were gonna take me. That that, that literally was what my agent had told me. Yeah. Wow. So I'm like, again, looking back now, I wish that he never told me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, so now I'm like, you know, pins and needles coming to 53, 54, 55, 55. They didn't take me. And then 56, or either that or was vice versa. I remember I get a call from my uh, agent as, uh, you know, the draft pick is about to be announced. And I answer the phone and, and BJ's like, it's not going to happen. <laughs> and they ended up, yeah, they, they ended up taking Patty Mills instead because he I guess he was coming off an injury. He fell pretty late. Yeah, um, the draft, and they went with him instead. Which, oh well, it yeah. happened. Yeah. So, but it at is. that point in time, you're like, 
uh, you know, like you're really, <laughs> yeah, really excited and ready to, <laughs> yeah, hoping good things would happen. Oh man, that's that's tough. That's thanks, <laughs> like you said. Yeah, no, you never told I, you at that point. Oh well, it's fine. Yeah. I, I ended up I ended up going overseas, and um, and so everything worked out. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you won a Euro. Did you you won a Euro Cup locomotive? I did. Yep. And now, how was that? What was that like? Like, what's the, what are the fans like over there too, as well? Um, depends on the country. Every yeah. country is a little different. You have your countries that are that love basketball, where um, soccer, or as they say, football, is not a major priority in the country. Like wow. like Serbia, Lithuania. Excuse me. Um, to a certain extent, like Turkey and Russia, but not as nearly as much as like Serbia and Lithuania. Whereas in those countries, basketball is number one. It's in Lithuania and yeah, probably in Serbia too. It's like a religion. Really. So. Yeah, everything is centered around that. It is huge there. And for young kids coming out of those countries, it's like a factory. That's crazy. I, yeah. I, I, had, I had no idea. I always thought, like, you know, like, America was, like, more basketball. I, didn't, I know, like, other countries of basketball, I always thought, like, football was, like, number one over in Europe. In, 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 Ser- in Serbia, there is some football. There, yeah. there definitely is. In Lithuania, you don't, you don't hear much about it. Um, and I, I shouldn't just say just Serbia, but all of those, those countries around Serbia there, yeah. huge with basketball. Um, in Spain, there's a good mix between the two. You're never going to get more popular than football in countries like Spain, France, even Germany, yeah. just because it's so Italy as well, just because yeah. it's so established as, uh, the main sport, but basketball is also very big there too. And all of those countries do a really good job running their leagues with, you know, the way they organize it and. So it's it's it does get a lot of uh, notoriety, but not nearly as much as as football. That's that's yeah, that's true. That's that's crazy. I didn't. I had no idea. So, what, you know, what was it like? You did you play in Lithuania? I think is that played two years in Lithuania. Yeah. What, what was that like? Like that experience? Like, I learned more those two years in my professional career than well, I shouldn't say than any other year, but I learned a lot in those two years. Just the the way to play the game, how to execute a specific play, why you're doing something, the result that you're looking for, because you're doing it that way. Um, and then to see those things happen, like in real time during a game, you start to get like that, that confidence, you know, from what the coach is saying, how we're preparing and then executing it. And it's yeah. kind of develops like a little like, I don't know. Some coaches call it like depth of knowledge between player, coach, plan, game plan, and execution. And it's just, it's very detailed. Um, there's a lot of prep that goes into every game. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. But, you know, I've, ha- I've been lucky to have some really good coaches that have, you know, the way they teach the game, the way they prepare and break everything down and, and how organized they are. Um, it makes it really easy for the players to, to be able to execute. That's awesome. That's great that you were able to like get that knowledge and experience from those coaches over there as well yep. too, and it makes you just turn you into a better player and everything like that. Um, that's that's awesome. And then now you played for Neptunas and you had ten three pointers in one game. You had forty two yep. points at the other game, which is that rare? Like, is that scoring that high like in Europe was rare, or or is that like? Um, not in the last two years. There's been a couple like really high scoring you know, individual games. Um, But yeah, I would say it's rare. I I had a really good, I mean, I had a really good coach and a really good team that year where everyone kind of recognized like it was going to be a good night for me Yeah, and made it a lot easier for me to, to take those shots. 
um, from whether it was the screen, the angle of the screen, the timing of the screens. And we had a lot of really, really, really good role players that understood their role that were not caught up in, in, you know, their personal um, statistics or how their game was going for themselves. And they just executed the game plan. And some, some days I would be that player. Yeah. But for that day, you know, I, I was having a great game and they did everything, including the coach, everything that they could do to make that game even better. Wow. So that, that was pretty sweet. That's so, awesome. That, yeah. It looked yeah. like you were just like hitting shots from all different kinds of angles and all that stuff. And it looked like yep. it was just like watching it on YouTube. It was, those, those were really cool. It's actually over at my friends. It's like Jimmy Barron's still getting, still getting buckets overseas. Yeah. <laughs> no that was a fun night. That That's was fun. That's awesome. And then you also played with your brother overseas. What was that? Was that like a dream come true to play with your brother? Yeah, it was a dream come true. Um, as an older brother, I had a lot of learning to do that year because, you know, I was the way, you know, the way it started, um, the team was centered around us. Uh, yeah. He was the point guard. I was the off guard. And there was a little bit like, especially early on, a friction between him and I. Um, not on necessarily like who would shoot this at what time and where, but I just, I had that mentality of, look, I'm the older brother. This is how we're going to do it listen to me, yeah. don't say a word type of thing. <laughs> yeah. you know, and looking back, I needed to be better um, communicating to him, whether it be in different ways or at different times. And I learned that. It, it took me about half the season to really learn that. And then, you know, it was, it was pretty good. We had a great experience from then on out. So, yeah. um, but like any, I mean, that's going to happen anywhere. I mean, you play with your brother, you know, you, you haven't been a, really been around each other for, because at that point it was year five or year six for me. And it was his second year. So we spent a good five, six years of where we only saw each other during the summertime. Wow. So now, now we're living together and, you know. <laughs> Going back to like your childhood days, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was kind of like I forgot like, oh, yeah, he's a professional player too now. Yeah, yeah. Type of thing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he ended up having a great year and his, um, his career really kind of like, he went to Spain the following year. And then after that, it kind of really took off from there. Did it, yeah. I've read some articles about him. Sorry, he's doing like really well. He won like an MVP, didn't he, recently or something like that too? Yeah, that was two years ago in the Adriatic League uh, playoffs. Yeah. Um, it's just a 14 playoff and like a final four type of thing, but with uh, like a five game series. And I think of, five or seven game series in the finals wow. and it's all amongst the you know Croatia Montenegro Serbia Bosnia like all of those countries oh, wow. make up the Adriatic League yeah. the winner of that league goes directly to EuroLeague for the following season oh wow dramatic pass so there was a lot of pressure to win and then I mean Serbia the pressure is to the roof I mean it's <laughs> it's at an all-time high um, again, those fans, they love their game. They love their basketball there. And to watch, you know, knowing that I knew what he was going through yeah. and the pressure and everything to see what he did and how he performed was, I couldn't have been prouder as a, as an older brother. That's awesome. That's great. That's yeah. really, that's really cool. Now, what are, uh, like, do you, are you guys like still competitive with each other? Do you guys ever just play a horse in the backyard a couple of times? Like, no, we don't play a lot of horse, but we are competitive on the golf course. Are you really? <laughs> very competitive on the golf course? Yeah. Oh boy, how who's who's a better golfer? He probably has me right now. Um, I had him for a while, but he uh, he belongs to a really nice course up in Buffalo, and so he plays a lot. He tries to play almost every day. So uh, 
he's probably got me right now, but I'm not too far behind. Yeah, all right, there you go. We gotta yeah. get a, we gotta get an update of the brother update of the tournament. Who's gonna who's gonna win this summer? <laughs> yeah, for sure. We we actually we played together um, for the last two years in his Invitational, and it was the first time I got that like basketball competitive feeling. Yeah, you, yeah. Just to say, but in a different sport. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, instead of playing, you know, rec- recreational golf for fun and just out with the boys and whatnot, now every shot matters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a pro. I, I got a, I got 180 in, and I got to know that, okay, if I hit it to the right side of the green, then, you know, that putt's going to be tough because it's going to be a little bit downhill or uphill or left or right. And, you know, just so many more thoughts come into the head just from swinging a metal stick. I know. It's great. It's crazy. Yeah. You, it's a totally different game. Oh, it's more time to think when you're out there, which is like the worst part about it. Like when you're about to set up for a shot, uh, like you just like all these thoughts run through your mind. I played in a couple tournaments where I'm like, all right, if I hit this, I'm putting for birdie, and then I'll shank it to the right and I'll be in the sand trap. Yeah. I'm like, God damn it. Yeah. Just blew a great drive. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's golf. I mean, that's golf for you and all over all of itself, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure, oh, man. It's oh. a very humbling sport. It is. It, it really is. But it's there's something about it that's like, Keeps bringing me back. I don't know what it is. Father's <laughs> mm-hmm. Day is a course around here in uh, Meadowbrook. They, yep. They redid it. It kicks my – Father's Day, I take my father there. It kicks my ass, and it makes me, like, question about, like, like if I really want to keep playing golf or not because it just, like, destroys me. That co- Great layout to that course and very challenging, too. Yeah, it is. It's a great – it's an awesome course. Big greens, but it somehow yeah. always messes me up every year. <laughs> <laughs> um do you have a favorite moment uh playing overseas or an experience like i mean i'm sure you experienced great food and stuff over there for sure um if i were to ch- i mean it, you know winning a championship um that's an easy that's an easy answer yeah. um just because you know again you work so hard and then over there it just the, the stress of everything um from game preps wins losses especially the losses um, to see that all kind of come together at the end and be able to win a championship is just, you can't, you, you can't even put that feeling into words. It's just, it's awesome. It's, you're just, you're on an all time high. Um, the, the interesting though, the interesting thing in, in Europe is that for the European competitions, they usually finish before the domestic competitions. Yeah. So we won the Euro cup. I want to say the first week in April. But we still had the, like two more months of the season to go. Oh my God! So they, you know, the, the club sent us on vacation for like four or five days. Yeah. Um, they took they took care of everything. We could choose wherever we went to go. We ended up going to, to where did we go? To Tel Aviv, to Israel for like four days. Me and the other Americans on the team. Yeah. Um, but then we had to come back and get back into like a preseason type scheduled practice routine yeah. to get ready for like the finish of the domestic league. Oh my God. How do you finish that? Like after just winning a championship, <laughs> it's tough. It's very tough. Um, it, it, it's, it's challenging teams that, I mean, I'm not going to say it's for every team, but there's a lot of teams that have success in their international, but then don't do so well in the domestic leagues, you know, because again, you're playing how it's structured is you play the, you play the, the international games during the week. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, throughout the season, they can be at any of those two, any of those days during the week. And then the, the domestic league games will be on the weekend. So you'll travel throughout Europe during the week, and then you'll play a, a, a domestic game on wow. the weekend. Wow. And then it'll just go back and forth like that the entire season. Yeah, yeah. So it's, 
it's, it's, it's a challenging schedule, you know, and sometimes there's two international games in a week. So you'll pop around from two different cities and then go back home and play, uh, you know, a domestic game against a team that maybe doesn't play in a European competition. And then this game is their Super Bowl. Yeah. So now you've got to turn it on again to play a team that might not be as good as you, but is going to give you their best shot. Yeah. So you can like walk into like a trap game, like you yeah. should be able to beat a team, but like you just can't. Like, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's challenging. It sounds like sure. a, it sounds like, uh, like my New England is going to come out, my, a wicked challenging, like, season like a wicked challenge a grueling season like it just sounds like all the travel and yep. I don't think a lot of people realize that about like european league there's like tournaments within tournaments like constantly yep. yeah yeah there is and the travel is very difficult sometimes like I, we when i played in russia we had to play a game in vladivostok now vladivostok is over by like north korea in the pacific oh ocean okay i had no idea <laughs> yeah so we flew to we flew to moscow and then i want to say it was like nine hours to vladivostok for a game for one game oh and it's a domestic flight because you're flying moscow to vladivostok it's all through russia yeah. there's a piece of china that kind of shoots up into russia over by the coast yeah yeah you got to go up and then you got to go all the way around down the coast so it kind of adds another two hours to the flight instead oh. of just crossing yeah china yeah it's going a straight flight right there <laughs> exactly so we we literally landed we went to the hotel had a snack took a quick nap because a lot of people, we, we flew business class, so a lot of people slept on the flight. Yeah. Took a quick nap, went right to the gym, played the game. And then I, I'm pretty sure we hopped on the same flight after the game and flew back to Russia. Oh, my God. So then getting back to the international league games, a week later, we had to play in Valencia. So now we're going two or three-hour time difference the other way. Yeah, yeah. So now we're in seven, eight, nine different time zones within seven to ten days. That's crazy. That's that's yeah. wild. Like, how's that? Does that mess with your sleep schedule pretty bad? Like, um, yeah, of course it does. But you just try and I mean, that's the situation. Oh, you, you just got to try and do the best you can with it. Yeah, so, that's yeah, that's wild. That's crazy. I see. I, I didn't know any of that. I knew like there was tournaments within tournaments, but like it. That's crazy. That's crazy that you guys would like go one way and then go across the other way. <laughs> yeah, we literally covered the entire like European and Asia continent. Because Valencia is in Spain, and that yeah. was a Euro Cup semifinal game that we played in, and then we had to play in Vladivostok um, around that time too, and that was that was challenging. That was brutal. <laughs> My God, I can imagine. That's that's yeah. crazy. That's that's wild. I didn't even know. I never heard of Vladivostok either. So. Yeah. yeah, that's that's uh, that's a new lesson plan for me there. But that's all. That's, sure. I mean, that's that's wild. That's that's crazy. So now. Going forward, like, what are your plans? Like, what are you, what are you up to now? What do you see yourself doing? Are you going back overseas? Um, I'll definitely go back overseas. I don't know, um, I don't know when and where. Um, right now, I'm just going to wait and be patient um, and try and find a, a really good situation, not just for me, but for the family. Mm -hmm. um, because the way, the way it ended for me last year is that Lauren was home with my girls, um, with our kids from Thanksgiving on you know, because she was pregnant. So I spent the final four months over there, three or four months or so um, alone. Yeah. And then everything hit with COVID and, and the season was stopped. So I, if I'm going to end my career or something, it, it would never be because, because of a pandemic. Yeah. Um, so I definitely want to play one, maybe two more years. Um, but it would have to be like with my family and everyone with me. So that's great. That's it. It sounds like, I mean, just off the basis of this conversation, it sounds like you're just like a great family guy. And like, you really care. And that's like, I think that that's awesome that you want to do something like that. 
I try to be. I mean, I, I got a great wife that that does all the dirty work and the hard work for me. Um, so I, you know, I'm able to to pursue something that I love to do, um, get paid for it too. So um, she's been great. So that's awesome. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad that things are going great for you. And sounds like you've had a hell of a career over overseas too, and just continue mm-hmm. on that shooting legacy. Um, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about your basketball training at all, or? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I train, um, kids of all ages right now, um, from high school to college to a couple pros and I kind of do it. Everything is every session is about an hour long. Um, very challenging. Um, I try to get the best out of the players and out of the workout. Um, just a little backstory. Um, like I had brought up before Rob McClanahan, um, someone who's like an older brother to me, um, him along with my father were very instrumental in just the development of my career as a player. Yeah. So a lot of the things that I do within the workout is, you know, I learned from him. And then also I, I've learned a lot from some of the European coaches um, that I've had overseas, Pablo Lasso being one of them. Um, he was my first coach in Spain and he's been the head guy at Real Madrid for the last nine years. Yeah. So, you know, to give some, some more info, he brought Luka Doncic in when Luka was 13, 14 years old. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's been good to learn from multiple different people and then try to put it all together to yeah. structure a workout. Yeah. And, and again, as a player, I can be able to try to illustrate to the kids, okay, this is what's worked for me. Um, this hasn't worked for me. So, you know, being able to adapt the workout based off of my experiences personally. Yeah. Um, and then I also, I would never put kids through drills or exercises that I didn't do myself. So, and luckily I'm still a player, I'm still playing. So I can get out there and be able to, to show them, execute it. And then, you know, they can be able to do it from that too. So that's all. Yeah, that's great. I think they'll have, I think you, any kid that's out there listening has interest in this. Like, I think you'd have a great teacher, you know, make sure you're ready to play and you're going to have someone that's going to, you're going to learn from someone great. That's going to help develop your game and make you become a better player. You can't beat learning from a local legend and then a, a pro as well too. Yeah. So I'm trying my hardest. I mean, just like everyone, still learning too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's great to be able to connect with kids because it wasn't too long ago I was in their position as well. So yeah, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. That that's really great. I really appreciate it, Jimmy. I really appreciate your time and everything. Uh, definitely check out uh, Jimmy's website if anyone's out there listening. BaronBasketball.com. If you're interested in getting training or um, looking to step up your game, definitely go to BaronBasketball.com and check them out and reach out to him if you're interested. But Jimmy, thank you so much for your time. This has been yep. awesome. As I spoke before off the air, you're definitely one of the highly sought out guests that people are looking for to listen to and uh, in the local area. And I'm glad that we were able to do this. No, I appreciate it, Jeffrey. This was a lot of fun. And um, thanks for having me on. Of course. No problem. Anytime. You're always welcome back. <laughs> All, right. <laughs> All right. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. All right, that was my interview with Jimmy Barron. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview in today's episode. On next week, we will have a great interview with URI offensive coordinator uh, Patrick Murphy. Great interview with Patrick Murphy, Coach Murphy, I should say. I apologize. Um, a lot of fun talking to him about his football career and this time at URI and uh, the upcoming season, what's going to happen, his thoughts. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. Be safe out there, and we'll see you next Monday.